It's good to see you this morning, and we're going to be talking a little bit about suffering. And one of the terms and one of the names that many times that we call Christ, Jesus, is the name Man of Sorrows. And isn't that an interesting name? And a lot of times when we think about Christianity, our minds think about the things that are hopeful. We think about peace. We think about the joy of Christianity. And there is no doubt joy and peace in Christ. But Christ is also known as the man of sorrows. I want to begin by telling you about a young girl who in 1924, she became the first female licensed watchmaker in the Netherlands in 1924. It was the work of her father. And so because her father was a watchmaker, she became a watchmaker. And her, and her family, they worked in a church. They helped people with disabilities. They raised foster children. And they were known for their charitable work. They were good people. But in 1940, the world changed. And a storm was approaching and darkness was hovering over Europe. The Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And during this awful time, her family began hiding Jews, going so far as to build a secret room to hide in case of a raid. The room was built in her room. They took Jews, refugees, anyone in need. Food was scarce, but they still helped strangers. Eventually, the Nazis were told by an informant of their helping the Jews and the refugees, and they were arrested. But the hiding room that held ten people was never found out. And in fact, nine of the ten people in that hiding room survived. But the family, her family, were sent to concentration camps. Her father died just ten days later. Her, sis her sister Betsy also died in the death camp. And amidst the darkness that was in that camp, her sister Betsy told her something. She told her something very profound. Amidst the darkness of that camp, her sister told her before she died, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Corey Ten Boom went on to write the story of her family in the hiding place. 
many times when we begin to think about the things that we have to endure, the suffering that we see, and we don't have to go far. We don't have to go to stories like this. We don't have to go to even the newspaper. All we have to do is to look at each other. And we can begin to see the suffering that each of us endures in some way and in some season. All of us. None of us are immune to sorrow. And we call Christ man of sorrows. And probably the greatest threat that any faith will have, any hope will have, any following Jesus will have is that question of suffering, that question of pain, that question of grief. Because we see the complexities of life, we see the contradictions in life, and then we try to rationalize why is there so much suffering? Why are we dealing with grief, disease, cancer, AIDS, starvation, abuse, natural disasters? And we see that there's different kinds of pain, aren't there? There is, of course, physical pain. The pain that all of us endure if we're sick or if we've been hurt by somebody. Physically, we endure suffering. But then there's also emotional abuse and emotional pain. There's spiritual pain too. And we see the suffering that's around us and then we try to rationalize it. Why is this happening? And, and philosophers and teachers have come up with all sorts of answers and the Bible gives us some answers. And of course, the whole book of Job is about that question of suffering so the Bible doesn't skirt the issue. It doesn't just present some pie-in-the-sky idea, everything's okay, it doesn't. No, in fact, the Bible tells us firsthand what suffering is. But it's still hard for us to understand, isn't it? The first thing that we jump to when we try to rationalize the suffering of people is that number one, we think of free will. Free will. You know, some pain is self-imposed, isn't it? I have caused myself pain in this life. Just over. I've woke up from a hangover too. And also we have the choices of others, don't we? We have to live with the free will of others. And some people don't always make responsible choices, do they? And then we go to the fact that we live in this fallen world, which is a part of that free will discussion. We live in a world where our will is corrupted because of selfishness and because we live in a corrupted state to where death happens to all of us. The man of sorrows. And it is from this that Christ has come to redeem us. But the message of the Bible is this, is that the protagonist of the Bible, the chief character in the Bible, 
Jesus is named the man of sorrows. And the impact should be to each of us is that God Himself has not exempted Himself from our sorrows. Because Jesus is God in flesh, is one of us. And God has come to us and He has suffered with us. That is the story of Jesus. God did not play by different rules. He experienced the same grief, the same pain, the same suffering, and He chose it. He chose to be here. He chose to come among us. The word excruciating. You may use that word sometimes when you hit your finger with a hammer. It's excruciating. But the word itself comes from out of the cross. That's what it literally means. Out of the cross. That's what excruciating means. I want us to talk about the miraculous event of the atonement of our sins. You might ask what that word means, atonement. It's, it's a different kind of word. We use it when talking about the Bible, but if you break it down, if you look at it as a word, it says at one It's a translation that means unity. And you see, God has brought us into unity with Himself through Jesus Christ. And it's actually through the suffering that God makes us one with Him. I want us to study Isaiah 53 this morning. This passage of Scripture was written some 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And it gives us this prophetic witness as to what He would live through. And it gives us the truth of who He is. And in fact, if you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah 53 and he, he wasn't understanding it. And it says that Philip picked up that scroll and preached unto him Jesus. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. The first thing that we see is God as man. It says in verse 1 and 2, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He begins to show us that Christ comes to us in the flesh. He, he grows up before the Lord as a tender plant. Remember that Christ in John chapter 15 likened himself unto the vine and the branches. And here he is this tender plant growing up before the Lord, inferring his sonship. Remember in Psalms 22, it says, or Psalms 2, it says, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. I will be to him as a father, and he will be to, him, to me a son. And it says of Jesus and his coming, 700 years before, he has no form or comeliness. Attractiveness is what that word means. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That when Christ came to this world, He came to us 
Not in some extravagant way. Not as someone who was rich, but actually as someone who was poor. Not someone who was extraordinary, but someone in a very ordinary way. He came to us in flesh. It says in Philippians 2.7, who made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Christ came in a humble way to this earth. You think about it. Well, how will God appear to man? And of course, the Jews had certain expectations as to the Messiah. And in fact, Jesus defied their expectations. They did not want a man of sorrows. They wanted a king. They wanted earthly power. And Christ came with no form of comeliness. It says, no beauty that we should desire Him. It says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men. God came to earth and man rejected Him. And you see this very plainly in Jesus' hometown, don't we? That Christ in Mark chapter 6, He comes to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4 as well, each time He is rejected by His hometown. Not only his hometown, but even his brothers and sisters don't believe him, it says in John chapter 7. He's rejected again and again, not only on the cross, but throughout his life. It says that Jesus is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Ask yourself this question, who did Jesus minister to? Who did Jesus surround himself with? In Luke chapter 4.18, He gives us this question, this answer. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery to the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Who did Jesus acquaint Himself with? Was He at the country club? Was He playing golf? No. Jesus was acquainted with the grief of man. He was with the poor, the brokenhearted, the blind, the lame, the leper. That's who Jesus was acquainted with. And it says, and we hid as it were from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It says in John chapter 111 that he came into his own and his own received him not. No one likes to be rejected, do you? We've all been rejected, haven't we? We've all called on the phone, guys, and asked a girl out on a date and been rejected, right? We've all had that job interview that went really well, only to get the call that says, no, sorry, sir, there's candidates that are much more qualified than you. We've all been rejected, but Christ was rejected in His life by His people, by the world, and that's who He came to, the people who were rejected. Acquainted with sorrow. Not building a a wall around Himself, but going to the people who were suffering. Well, didn't He? 
It also says that God suffered for us as a man. It says in Philippians 2.8, and He being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In verse 4 of Isaiah 53, it says this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken. He carried our sorrows. And if you remember in the story of Calvary, in the story of cross, Christ is compelled to carry the cross. Carry the cross after He was brutally beaten within an inch of His life. That cross weighed some 125 pounds and He had to walk a third of a mile through the city with that on His, on his back. And of course that load, that burden, that weight became so heavy that Simon the Cyrene had to come and bear that weight for the rest of the journey. Jesus' obedience also affected those who were around Him, didn't it? That now all of a sudden, someone, some stranger in the crowd had to carry the cross because Jesus was being obedient to the Father. Our obedience sometimes not only cost us, but it cost people around us. That's why they discourage you. Hey, don't, don't raise the bar. You don't have to be a person of character. You don't have to obey God now. None of us are. Because when you begin to obey God, that means that there's crosses for other people to carry. But Christ bears that burden. It says, He was smitten by God and afflicted. You see, God poured out His judgment that was due for all of us onto Jesus. It says in verse 6, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Christ bears our sins. Christ bears our sorrows. Christ bears our burden. It's through His death that life comes. It's through that darkness that light comes. That's who Jesus is and that's what He's doing for you. It says, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The iniquity of us is on Christ. It says, verse 5, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Three of the four Gospels recall the scourging of Jesus. The man of sorrows is scourged before a crowd, he is whipped. They tear his clothes off and whip him and beat him. A scourging that would kill some. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his way. And if you remember, where were the disciples? Where were his followers? Where was Peter? Where was John? And it says, they forsook him and fled. The same disciples that had seen Jesus walk on water, raise the dead, cure the lame, were nowhere to be found. Christ was left alone, the man of sorrows. 
says in verse 7, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shear is silent. If you remember, when Jesus had these false witnesses that were saying these lies about Him, He spoke not a word. It says in Matthew 26, 63, but Jesus kept silent. Think about how difficult that is. Has anyone ever spread a lie about you? Has anybody ever said anything false about you? And what is your inclination? I'm going to call the news. I'm going to get on social media and air it all out. I'm going to tell everybody I've been wrong. But Jesus, in His sorrow, keeps silent. It also says in verse 9, this prophetic message, and they made His grave with the wicked. You see, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. You understand that? Crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals on earth. And they had designed this death as a torturous end to them. Remember, Jesus was exchanged for Barabbas, meaning Son of the Father. That's what His name means. That the Son of God, the Son of the true Father, is exchanged for Barabbas, who is described as an insurrectionist, a murderer, and a robber. That's who they traded Jesus for. And then, of course, in Matthew 27, 38, then two robbers were crucified with Him, one on the right and the other on the left. And he was innocent. He was innocent. Not only of a crime, but of any moral failing. He was innocent. And it says, but with the rich at his death. And of course, Joseph of Arimathea gave him a tomb and a royal burial. And even though Jesus died as a common criminal, he was buried with the rich. Isaiah 53 gives us this prophetic message to give us assurance that Jesus is who He says He was. But it also shows us that God is forgiving humanity in a just way. You see, God just doesn't forgive us by waving a magic wand. That's not how He does it. Because God is not only a God of justice, Or God of grace, He is a God of justice. And so God forgives us through justly punishing Jesus. Remember those words that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And verse 10 tells us that His offering was for sin. He came to bear their iniquities, to bear sin for many, and intercession for transgressions. The reason Christ died on the cross is because I'm a sinner. It's because this world is filled with sin and wickedness and evil. And we need forgiveness. The reason Christ is the man of sorrows is because I am a person of sin. That I need forgiveness of sins. Years later, Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called Tramp for the Lord. 
One day she was teaching in Germany in 1947. And of course the memory of the war was very fresh on her mind. And a prison guard came up to her. A prison guard from the same death camp that killed her father, her family, and her sister. Not only was it a prison guard, but it was one that was known notoriously for his cruelty. And he came up to her and he asked her for forgiveness. How could she? Why would she? It was Christ within her. For a long moment, she says, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And in that moment, I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. In many of her speeches, she would say that line that her sister told her, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. The thing about our sorrows that it shows us is how truly we love one another and how truly God loves us. The reason Christ is the man of sorrows is because He became the man of sorrows in His love for you and me. And when we're hurt the most, it's because of that love that's deep within us. It is that value that we have that God has given us. It's recognizing who we are in the light of who God is. Christ is the man of sorrows because He loves you and me. And this is something that changes people. Remember when that Ethiopian eunuch was reading that and when Philip preached unto him Jesus, it says in Acts chapter 8, then he asked the question, what does hinder me to be baptized? Because when you understand who the man of sorrows is, it revolutionizes who you are. It changes you. It transforms you. Because now the love of the world isn't enough. It's the love of God. It's the love of God that gives us access to a peace and to a patience and to a forgiveness that isn't offered anywhere else. And it's just what this world and just what I and just what you need. The man of sorrows has come to give you joy. Have you obeyed him this morning? The Bible says to believe in Christ. Except you believe that I am He, Jesus says, you will die in your sins. We have to believe in God's revelation to us that God has sent Jesus to us. And we begin to believe and then obey that message. We repent of sins. We confess Christ to be the Son of the living God. We're baptized, immersed into His body for the forgiveness of sins because of that radical, beautiful love that God has given us in the man of sorrows. And then we become people of joy. Or if you're a Christian this morning and you feel weak or need prayers or need healing, this church wants to pray with you. If you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing?